In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, both now and ever and unto the ages of all ages, Amen. Six times Jesus uses the word light in today's readings. Six times he says, um, he says to walk while we're in the light. Walk while you have the light. A little while longer you will have the light. While, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. What's this business of light? Why is Jesus so focused on light here uh, now at the time of the resurrection? I want to ask you something. We'll get to the gospel in a minute, but I want to I ask you uh, maybe a, a couple of questions so that we can make this really practical and bring it really home uh, for ourselves. Right? What do you think it would be like to live in a world without light? During Holy Week, on maybe Tuesday night of Holy Week, uh, we were talking uh, about creation and God's, uh, and God's grace in His creation, and that He created the world out of His grace, and, <coughs> and that He created light out of His grace. And He had no obligation to bring us literally out of the dark into light, but He did it just because, just because He loves us, and just because He loves to give us light. Why, why would God want to give us light? Well, I mean, the, the question seems kind of obvious, but at the same time, it's a little bit hard to discuss because it's so primordial. It's so hard to imagine what life would be like without light. So I went on about reading some experiences of people who have lost their sight. And it reminded me that I've actually accompanied two people through that journey, one a family member and one a colleague, uh, both of which who had two different kinds of macular degeneration. The macula is the thing that gives you central vision. So they, they progressively lose their central vision um, and they can only see peripherally, I believe, if I remember. I wasn't an ophthalmologist, but whatever, right? So, um, so basically, uh, one, uh, one of them is a family member and every time I talk to him, I find him standing with his head tilted and he's kind of looking like this because he can only see, he can only see from from his peripheral vision. So, you know, he kind of looks at me from the side so that he can see me. Um, and fortunately, I was close enough to both of these people to be able to ask them uh, uh, what, it, what it would feel like. Um, I also have another, uh, I have another two family members who have multiple sclerosis um, who, you know, tell me that they live in the fear of waking up one day with some neurological disability, not knowing what that may be. Um, and all of them mentioned something, when I think back at my conversations with all of these people, they all mentioned something uh, in common and, they, and other things that are different. But one thing they all mentioned in common, maybe not the only thing, but one thing is that you can't take what you have for granted. Right? And specifically in regards to our sight, thinking and reflecting on this, and because I travel sometimes, I've, now I, I have this habit before I travel to take a really good last look at my wife, at my daughters, um, because uh, they're, they're probably the... the not they're not things, but the, that I hold the most dear. And were I were I to never see anything again, I would want to be able to see them in my memory. 
I want, would want to be able to see them in my mind. And that's probably why we take pictures of things, right? When you go on holiday or, or, or significant events or, you know, uh, uh, family gatherings or, or good times of any description, um, you, you know, we take pictures. Why? Because we want, we want to immortalize that moment. We want to be able to come back to that moment. We want to be able to, to, to hold on to that moment. Now, I'll ask you a question. Suppose, suppose there was something in the world, it could be anything, you know, it could be, you know, roast beef, ice cream, your job, your neighbor, your wife, your children, that you're never going to see again. This is the last time you're going to see it. What would be the thing that you would hold the most dear? What would be the thing that would be the hardest to part with uh, for, for you? To never be able to see again, to be literally in the dark in relation to that thing. Jesus is telling us not to live in the dark in relation to him, to hold fast, to hold fast to him, to hold fast to him, to look Jesus well in the eyes and grab him by the shoulders and let that image be imprinted in your mind, in your heart. Um, Sometimes, sometimes people struggle with uh, un undesired memories. I'm not a counselor. Uh, you know, I have no professional counseling experience whatsoever. I've just accompanied people in their lives. And advice that was given to, to, to somebody in counseling, and then I found it was very good advice for dealing with, uh, with uh, uh, unpleasant memories that you've dealt with, but you know you're still dealing with, is to take a picture of Christ as he's suffering, you know, wearing the crown of thorns or on the cross or something, and to draw it out for yourself every day for about six weeks. The result is that the image gets imprinted in your mind. You're able to recall the image without the image. You're able to see, you're able to see the image without, without the piece of paper or without the picture on your phone. You're, a, you're able to to reconstitute it in your mind. That's what Christ is asking of you and of me. That's what he's recommending to us. Look, around us all the time we face death. And there's, we face death, maybe uh, like real death, you know, uh, maybe in some parts of the world th there's bodies strewn in the streets. Thankfully, not here. But we face we face failure and brokenness and sadness and unrealized expectations and um, unmet desires. And we face this stuff all day long. All day long, we, we face this stuff. And the constant message is death is the end. The end is death. The last page in the book is death. Death, the end. Th that's the constant message. Jesus is telling us, hold fast to me. Hold fast to the resurrection. Hold fast. Hold on to it hand, tooth, and nail. Hold on to it with all you have. Find some way, some method, some mechanism to fix your mind on the resurrection. You know, that this you know, idea of uh, drawing and redrawing an image over and over again is one, one method. Um, and you can also obviously choose you can also choose your own. And if we look back at the readings today, we'll find some advice from, um, 
from Scripture about how to hold fast. And the first reading was from St. Paul's Epistle to the Thessalonians chapter 2, right? And he says, Stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Whether by word or our epistle. So some, some traditions that we have, that we have received, are written for us. Maybe they're written in, 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 in the Bible. Maybe they're written in the liturgical texts. Or maybe they're written here or they're written there. Right? And we, we have a reference to them. But some of them are not. I was just uh, um, sitting with somebody the other day, a grandmother, who, who was telling me, that all the stories that she tells her grandson, he remembers. You, you know, she's telling me like, you know, like my, my grandchildren don't go to church and this and that. And we were talking all about that. And it's a common, very common conversation I have with lots of grandmothers, right? But she says to me, the stories that I tell him, he remembers, right? And so the, the, the message of Christ was obvious that maybe we should keep telling him stories, Right? The things which you learned and are continuing to learn, whether in written form or in word, hold fast onto these things. And the church has given us a multitude of different ways of living out the resurrection during these holy 50 days. Part of it is our liturgical practices. Sure, come to church, pray in the liturgy, pray in the procession. The procession is a procession of victory, like the victory of Jericho. So, Sub, s surrender all of the things that are hold that are are are, are 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 obstacles to you the way that Jericho was an obstacle to the people of Israel for them to enter the promised land surrender them to God and God will deal with them in the in in faith as we go through the the procession of victory seven times around the church well three times in the altar three times here and and once again around the altar right like joshua went seven times around jericho and god gave him victory right the church gives us several different kinds of prayers another practice which is really beautiful is if you look up the prayers which have to do with the resurrection that are in midnight praises. You'll find that there is a doxology and there's a psali watus and there's a psali adam and there's all of these special things that are said for the resurrection. You don't need to know the hymns and the tunes and all of that. Just download the Coptic Reader app and look up the look up look in look in midnight praises for the stuff that says resurrection. Like not the stuff that we say all the time, all year long. That stuff is really beautiful too. But you want to focus on the resurrection, right? You'll find that the words of these prayers are beautiful. There's a doxology for Archangel Michael during the resurrection as the announcer of the resurrection. These things give us the opportunity to live a heavenly life, to live, to set our minds on things above, like it says in Colossians 3.1. You see, everything is drawing our attention to the here and now. And the here and now is full of lots of beautiful things, but lots of death as well. Lots of sadness, lots of broken lots of failure and if we keep our eyes on that then we can't see through we can't see through the cross to the resurrection we see the cross we see death and we stop there well no wonder we no wonder we find ourselves living in sadness right so the church has given us a multitude of tools to use when we go to the Catholic epistle right we find that that st. John is telling us that to see God, you need to know God. So if we want to hold fast to Him, we need to know Him. And he tells us, in this, it's so easy to know God. He says that 
And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and has sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. I love that word, propitiation, right? The short of the long is this. Either love God or love your neighbor, preferably both. When I find it difficult to love God, when I feel that God is abstract, God is absent, God is, I don't know where God is. I'd love to buy him a coffee, I wouldn't know where to drop it off. Where is God so that you can love him, right? Love your neighbor. God gave, God has given us the greatest gift in the world, which is each other. In loving each other, in loving each other, we learn to see God. We learn to see God for who, for who He is. Of course, it doesn't substitute knowing Him on your own, in your own private space, in your own closet. Like Jesus says, that whoever seeks Him in secret, His Father will reward openly. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. It's enough to love to love your neighbor, to love your friend, love your colleagues. I was just at a professional uh, association meeting yesterday, a, a, a Coptic Medical Association of North America meeting, and uh, doing questions and answers. Somebody asked me in your previous career, how did you manage to find meaning in your day-to-day -day work, right? Uh, no, ma no matter who you are, if you're very specialized, you probably do about four things, you know, for 80% of your time. And the other 20% you do all the weird and wonderful. But for 80% of your time, you're doing the same four things over and over and over and over again, right? No matter how complex they are, it becomes pretty, pretty habitual after a while. How do, you, how do you stay interested? You know what for me the secret was in my previous career was actually loving my colleagues, caring about my colleagues, making it my mission that every day that my colleagues came to work with me would be a good day in the measure of my ability, right? Like, you know, they get fired, right? <laughs> if I wasn't the one who fired them, right? Or wasn't the one directed to fire them, what am I gonna do, right? But I can do my best, you know, I can do my best. If that means buying people coffee or lunch, fine, but it often doesn't. Most of the time, people don't want a coffee or a muffin as much as they want you, as they want a person who will ask them how they're doing and actually care and actually listen and actually remember. And I realized that I'm not very good at remembering anything. So then I would jog my memory and tell myself, well, this person told me this, that person told me that, this is what this person did on their weekend, this is what this person is worried about, and blah, blah, blah. And this, and that would, and that helped me, you know, that helped me with my, with my, with my memory to be able to remember things better by exercising it. Right? Love to love our neighbor. In loving our neighbor, we learn how to love God. In learning how to love God, we see Him. In the, in the Catholic, in the Praxis, St. Paul and St. Barnabas go to Lystra. They go to Lystra, they see it, they're preaching, and from the corner of St. Paul's eye, he sees a disabled man. And he, he, keeps, he keeps looking at him, and then he stops preaching, and he prays for him, and he tells him, Stand up on your feet. It literally tells him, stand up on your feet. And the man stands up. And the people are so shocked. And they decide, then they start worshipping St. Paul and St. Barnabas. He says, no, no, no. He says, no, no, no. We're just like you. Don't worship us. Worship the true God. Stop worshipping idols. So they tell him, stop worshipping idols. So they stone them. So they stone St. Paul. <laughs> they go from worshipping him in one second to stoning him in the next. Right? You know, there's a famous saying which says, one moment they will hail you. The next moment they will 
nail you, right? So, uh, you know, don't listen too much to people's praise or their criticism because, you know, it changes like the weather does, right? They stone St. Paul. They think he, they leave him for dead. The disciples come and collect him and bring him back into the city. Whether he was dead and came back to life or they thought he was dead, but they were mistaken, one or the other. St. Paul comes to and he says to them, it is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. It is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. So there's bound to be tribulations. There's bound to be troubles. There's bound to be these things. The church is telling us what, how you're going to prepare yourself. Now we're in the days of the resurrection. Now we're in the summer. Like if you had to associate a, a season, now we're in the summer of the seasons of the church, right? Now we're in the good times. There's no fasting. You can eat what you want. You can do this. You can do that. The liturgies are uh, earlier in the day. They're not, they're not as late and so on. What, what are we going to do now so that we can prepare for the future? In Proverbs, to close with this, in Proverbs 30, 24 and 25, it says there are four things that are little on the earth, but they are exceedingly wise. We'll only look at the first one. The first one is the ants are a people not strong, yet they have prepared their food in the summer. What does that mean? That means that in the times, in the good times, in the easy times, they're collecting. We did a series on money, um, you know, uh, about maybe a year and a half ago now, or well, almost two years ago, and maybe a year and a half ago now. And we were talking about having an emergency fund that's like about six to eight months of your salary. I know it seems like nearly impossible to do, but we went through specific steps, right? The time to start saving money for when I lose my job is not when I've lost my job. It's now when I have my job, right? That's just, Jesus used money examples all the time because they're just so easy and tangible for us to understand. But it's on a multitude of different, of different levels. Now, thank God, touch wood, my parents are in decent health. Now's the time to spend with them. Now's the time to encourage them to travel. Now's the time to, to capitalize on that, right? Because they're doing roughly, roughly they're doing okay. So now are the good times, right? Jesus is telling you and me, now is the summer. Now is the time to store up promises. I remember going to this Christian bookshop. I walk in, lady behind the counter greets me and I start wandering around looking at books and this and that and I look over at her and she's mumbling the whole time she was mumbling I was in med school by the time so I started wondering if I think I was on my psychiatry rotation so I started wondering you know you know, you know if if uh, if she was you know uh, had some kind of mental illness or maybe a side effect of some medication or something right and then as I got a little closer as a little I got a look could hear what she was saying she was reciting promises so I asked her, I asked her what she was doing, she, and she said, I'm, I'm reciting all the promises that I know off by heart. Every day I try to learn a new one. I asked her, how long have you been doing this? She says, I think I was five when I started. This lady was like elderly. 
I was like, and every day you've learned a promise? She said, just about. Wow, there's that many promises from God in Scripture that we could memorize. This lady has stored up treasures for herself for when she won't be able to see anymore, when she won't be able to hear anymore, when she won't be able to have access to have access to the written word of God. She'll have treasure stores inside of her. What about me? When I was 13, I decided I was going to memorize all the Psalms. So I started memorizing one Psalm a week. Then I did the math and realized that it was going to take me between three to four years to memorize all the Psalms, and I got discouraged. I, 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 I did this for about two, two weeks or so, right? And then I gave up. I was like, ah, oh, it's going to take me like three or four years to, to get through this. So I gave up. Well, I'm a lot older than that now. Had I stuck to it, right? I would know all the Psalms off by heart. Pope Crollos would recite, Pope Crollos VI would recite all the Psalms all day long from zero to 150 and start all over again, right? Store up, to store up for ourselves to, in this time of summer, to hold fast to Christ in this time of summer, to hold fast to the light so that when the days of difficulty and the days of darkness come, when the days of the cross come, we will be unshakable in our knowledge that the resurrection is just around the corner and about to follow in just, just three days, just three days away from the cross. Glory be to God forever and ever. And I've sinned, forgive me, my fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. Please pray.